Welcome to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. I'm your host, Les Shapiro. And I'm your co-host, Vic Lombardi. Now, each episode, we'll bring inspiring interviews with great athletes, celebrities, and the most brilliant minds in medicine on how to beat adversity to win in life. So thanks for spending time with us as we bring you one step closer to becoming your best unstoppable self. Our guest this episode, well, you might have seen him on one of the MTV Challenge shows. He's been on many of them. You might have heard him on YouTube or Spotify. He's a singer. You might have bought some of his clothing because he's a fashion designer. You might even be riding around on one of his motorcycles because he designs motorcycles as well. His name is Jordan Wisely. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Yeah, sure. So with all these things you got going on in your life, I would imagine you're not getting too bored during the pandemic, huh? No. The first month was very slow. Played a lot of Xbox. And then after that, when we figured out like, okay, this is, you know, this is going to be a way of life now. Um, we just centralized everything. So now all the work is done in the garage here at the house instead of downtown. The, you know, the factory, we're only operating at like half capacity in the factory. So it's, it's slower, but we just, we just pivot. Where are you living now, Jordan, from uh, the proud town of Mustang, Oklahoma? I love that. So where do you call home now? Uh, I'm in L.A. now. Uh, home is is definitely still Oklahoma, but uh, L.A. is where we are now. I've been here for uh, going on six years. It's been an adventure. Um, and I every day I realize how much I learned from growing up in the country. Yeah, it's got to be an adventure. I mean, on these MTV Challenge shows, you've been on many of them. You've won a lot of money on them. You've won the contest a few times. Um, you're all over the world, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. The the challenge has really been this unforeseen blessing. You know, I uh, growing up, my brother and I, we played every sport you could think of, you know, since we were about four years old. And we would always see the challenge on TV, right? We weren't big indoor guys, but we'd see it and we'd be like, oh, yeah, we could do that. We could do that. I could win that, you know, fast forward, you know, 15 years and MTV's like, Hey, do you want to be on the challenge? I'm like, Okay. <laughs> and yeah, we've been every, pretty much every season. It's a new part of the world. Thailand, Uruguay, Argentina, Colombia, uh, Norway, Panama. Uh, we, we do it all. We've been to Patagonia and got to, I've got to run, you know, damn near a marathon in Patagonia. So uh, that is the stuff that excites me about the show. How did you uh, first get introduced to MTV? How does that start? I, I got found in a bar. MTV was having a casting call in uh, in this bar in Coaches. They're like, wow, you guys are rad. Do you mind if we take your picture or fill out this thing? We did like a group setting type casting. And then I got a call a couple weeks later. They're like, hey, you're pretty interesting. Do you want to do another interview? And then another one and another one. And uh they're just like, hey, do you want to be on the real world? I'm like, okay. Well, why do you think they found you interesting? What do you think it was about you? I'm, I, guys, I'm, I'm pretty outspoken. I'm, I'm just not afraid to kind of speak my mind, especially in a group setting. Um, and so I'm sure that they saw that, oh, this guy's never met this group of people, but he's just running this thing like he knows everybody. Um, I bet he'll do that on national television too. So outspoken versus – uh overbearing is there a fine line there and have you been that way your entire life like are you the guy that always runs the show among your friends kind of 
Yeah, and and then to to further that, like to your point, yeah, it's kind of been like forever. Uh, my father was a was a, a multiple time state wrestling champion, state football champion. Uh, went to school on a re- went to OU on a wrestling scholarship, then ended up going to another school on a football scholarship that was still on the table. Uh, so he's just always been that guy, you know. He's been like the leader of the team and everything, and then you know, we're expected to be that guy on every team uh, that we were on. So, yeah, I, you know, coach from a very young age, coaches were always telling me, hey, everyone's watching you, so you need to, you need to act right or you need to play right or lead these guys by example. You know, I was always getting that conversation. So I just kind of took that into real life too. So school projects would be like, oh, I got this. I'll take it over. So that sports mentality molded you. And, that, and that's what I love about team sports is – it teaches you so much more about that respective sport. It teaches you about handling life. How much of what you do in life you learned in sports? Uh, 90%. Yeah. So the, the team aspect, that teaches you social in the world, right? Someone's going to have an opinion that differs from you. Uh, someone's going to make a mistake. You're going to make a mistake. There are expectations that aren't being met or exceeded, whatever that is. So that's real life and social uh, standings. But in wrestling, with it being – a team and individual sport, you're the one guy on the map, but your, your points do go to the team. When you're out there, you learn how to lose. That's one thing you do in wrestling. Because even at a very young age, you, you may not be able to comprehend exactly what's going on in the match. But at the end, when the referee lifts up the other guy's arm and not yours, you know that, oh, I just lost. And that, and you'll, you'll see these kids, like, they just thought they had fun at this wrestling match, and the other kid's hand gets raised, and then they start crying because they're realizing there, they're like, oh, you don't win every time. So you got to learn how to lose with yourself and be accountable. Jordan, you're an achiever, and, and from what I've read, a lot of people call you an overachiever. And one of the reasons they call you an overachiever is because you were born with a, a congenital defect. You were born with four fingers missing on your left hand. You have a thumb, but you're missing four fingers. Um, if you want a good laugh, you can ask me and Vic to pronounce the name of the, of the congenital defect you have. You want a good laugh? Should I give it a shot? Yeah, please give it a shot. Okay. I, I'm looking at it right now on my computer screen. Simbrachydactyly. Simbrachydactyl. Simbriodactylosaurus. <laughs> so what is it? Give us the right pronunciation. Honestly, guys, I have no idea. Um, I have paid such little attention to my hand. Same with my parents. Cool story. When Before I was even one, uh, my parents had, they'd started calling around at doctors and they'd, they'd found this guy at Baylor and uh, he was a, a transplant specialist. No, I do. This is 30 years ago. So however good transplants were at that time. And he had figured out this surgery that I'm going to take some, some bones from his foot and put them in his hand and basically give me uh, like a longer pinky on the side. So I'd be able to kind of grab more than what I can. So my parents go down there in a hotel night before, and they said that they were up all night, didn't sleep at all and ended up no call, no showing at the, at the doctors. And they just went home and they had decided that what if he was going to be a track star and we just took bones out of his foot? Yeah. You know, so from that point on, they were very upfront about, hey, any question, 
you have, ask it. You want to know something from a doctor, you let us know. You know, they're very like, hey, they would show me this like, hey, this old man blew his hand off with a firecracker and they, they just transplanted another hand. It's there. So if you're ever interested, but I realize that uh, the human body is so good at adapting. Ridiculous. We are the most sophisticated machines on the face of the planet. We can adapt to anything. So once I had adapted after the first couple of years, you know, four, five, six years, there's no way I could reset and go back and try and be as good as, as I was already. So if somebody came to you today and said, we can re-engineer your hand and it will work close to your other hand, would you do it? No, no, I, I, I get asked that and I think about it. And especially now, like, like maybe if I could go back in time, I'd love to know what having two hands was like in high school. Right. Maybe maybe I get more looks from colleges because that was like the number one thing. We'd have all these colleges come out and scout. But at the end of the day, when you're looking at two guys, they both have the same batting averages or same ERAs or, or tackles or whatever it is. One guy's got one hand. I'm going to go with the guy who's got two hands because he's less likely to make a mistake. Right. So we, we dealt, dealt with a lot of that. But now. I I just know how to do so much stuff like this that I, I would have to relearn a lot. Does it limit you at all? Mm. I'm not talking about just sports. I'm talking about everyday life. The Oh, sports, not at all. Um, the hardest things are like buttoning my right cuff. <laughs> you know, uh, just, just weird, stupid little things like that. But that's it. No. Because I can't even button my right cuff, yeah. and I need help. How do you do it? <laughs> uh, I usually it, it's just a process, you know. I use my ribs and a lot of maneuvering. Well, that you know, I you never think about stuff like that though. But but like a bow tie, for example, like I have trouble doing anything when it comes to you know uh, real detailed handwork and and all that business. I just find it interesting that. If you were given the option to fix it, you wouldn't because I, I think there's something about overcoming adversity. And this is why we call this podcast Unstoppable because you've overcome it already. You don't need to reverse it. You don't need to go back. You've overcome it. You don't need anybody telling you how do you overcome it because you've done it. So what mindset did you have? What what character trait do you have in overcoming that? Perfect. This is This is the number one thing that I think that my hand has given me. The scenario is always people go, oh, my God, you're so good. Imagine how good you would have been with two hands. And I think about it. And when I first – I'd start hearing this in high school and stuff. People are just like, oh, my God. And then I thought about it and I go, I would probably be a lazy shit. If I had two hands, it would probably come so easy that I'd just be like, no. But instead, I was the guy that would stay after practice and we, I'd keep throwing routes. Um, my younger brother is 22 months younger than me. So we're like right there in, in age or in, in like size and ability. So we were always throwing long toss after we, we were throwing extra. We'd, we'd take more batting practice. We just keep going because we knew we had to. So I think that the biggest trait that I learned was nothing will stop you. Nothing. If you don't want it to, that's it. If you want to do it, you'll find a way to do it. There are guys running Olympic hundreds with no legs. 
it, there is a way. You just have to want to. Well, there are guys playing in the NFL these days with one hand. Yeah, Griffin. Right. So it's driven you, basically, is what you're saying. It's driven you to become this overachiever. Yeah, and especially with the title of overachiever, it's my whole life I've had to prove that I'm as good, which means I have to do a little bit more, and that's just become a way of life and in career, in everything. Baseball-wise, how did you hold the glove? Uh, Just like Jim Abbott. So throw and catch with right hand. Uh, I have the glove on my left hand, so follow through, and then I slip the glove on if it, if anything comes back. I want to know how you batted. Uh, so I bat left-handed, so my right, my strong hand is my pull hand. Um, I was leadoff, and uh, high school average was like 418. Wow. I was a first ball, fastball hitter, and hit one home run in my entire life, and that was in the Little League World Series. Um, and that was it. So I was just, I was just line shots, ground balls, digging them out, get on base. And then after that, it was over. I was, I was messing with pitchers and catchers. I was stealing, I was stealing second and third for sure. Is is there a sport Jordan or an activity that, and I think I know the answer to this, that you said, nah, I just, this is something I can't do. It's just too much. No, not nothing that I've tried yet. Um, gymnastics is probably the hardest thing you know, like staying on the rings and in bars and stuff like that. So that's something I wish I was better at, but that's just freaks are, are amazing at gymnastics. Right, Jordan, I, I opened up this episode with, with all the things you've got going on in your life. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, tell me about the next challenge you're on and tell me also where we can find your music because you and your fiance, Tori Deal, who also has been a regular on the MTV challenge shows uh, through the years, uh, you guys sing and you sing together. So what's going on in your life right now? Um, been busy. We've been filming a lot. I own a production company. And so we, we've been doing a lot of shooting in, in quarantine. Well, you're also going to be in a couple of motion pictures that are coming out soon, correct? Yeah, yeah. And it's super. I'm really excited because Jesse is working on, uh, he's doing the music and composition for a feature film that we have coming out. For, well, for those who don't know, Jesse is my son. Oh, yes. Je- yeah. Jesse Shapiro. And it's been really fun learning that process with him and, and those guys just showing us everything in the studio. But uh, yeah, Tori and I, we, we met on a challenge. And when you're on a challenge, they take everything away from you. It's, it's pretty much minimum security. White collar prison is really what it is. You get your three meals a day, you get a bed, um, but you get no books, no magazines, no reading material whatsoever, uh, no phones, no music, no internet. You get one phone call a week for 10 minutes. So when you're in the house, you really have to uh, entertain yourself. So we would start singing. You know, we just sing all the songs that you can remember, and we just sing out by the pool. And that's how Tori and I met. And she had done music before. So then once we got back to the States, she was like, hey, we should, like, do this. Do you want to come to the studio with me? And so I did. And then I've known uh, Jesse and Rob and those guys. They're our producers here. And uh, I've known that they've done music. I've just never known that I was musically inclined. Uh, And so they were just like, yeah, come to the studio. Let's record something. And that was a year or two ago. Are you an L.A. guy now? Or would you ever ever consider going back home, small town Oklahoma? Oh, the goal, the ultimate goal is to have my compound 
back home. You know, I want the horses over there. I want the motocross track over here. Uh, I want a baseball backstop over there. Yeah, I want I want my own place. L.A. is great for the career right now, um, but I want to get to the place where – I want to Matthew McConaughey this whole thing, you know? Hey, you, you want to do this job? Yeah, man, I guess. And then you just fly there. Um, but stay on my ranch and, yeah, I'm definitely going back to the woods. Jordan, I got a feeling um, whatever you want, you're going to end up getting. That's just the way it sounds with you. Thank you. Well, Jordan, we really appreciate your time. Uh, it, it's been incredible what you've been able to achieve with what's going on with, with your left hand. And, uh, I mean, you're, you're an inspiration. You're an inspiration to a lot of people and, and absolutely unstoppable, it seems. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, guys, the, the name of the podcast is very fitting. Thank you guys so much for having me on. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. That was reality star and influencer Jordan Wisely. He's going to stick around as we bring in Dr. Kia Washington to talk about Jordan's hand defect. We Are Unstoppable is sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You know, Les, when I got hit with prostate cancer, it's the first place I turn to because I know the Anschutz Campus, they really delve into breakthrough technology. If there's something new on the horizon, I know they've got it. And I was hit with lung cancer, and that's where I get treated as well, at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. They've got me up and running. They've made me unstoppable. Lest they've made us unstoppable. And they're located right here in the heart of the Rocky Mountain region. We are joined by Dr. Kia Washington. She is a professor of surgery. She is a board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon. And she is a board-certified hand and upper extremity surgeon. And she does most, if not all, of her work at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. Hello, Dr. Washington. Hello, how are you? Doing fine, thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about your practice, what you do, and uh, and what they do at the hand clinic at Anschutz? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, well, as you said, I am a board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon and also a hand and upper extremity surgeon. Primarily, my practice consists of um, doing surgery for any disease affecting the hand and upper extremity, so that, it, that can include fractures or broken bones. Uh, that can include uh, nerve compressive diseases, such as carpal tunnel, which is one that most people have heard of. Um, it can include reconstructive procedures for chronic disorders, such as arthritis and things like rheumatoid arthritis. And also a fair bit of my practice includes uh, reconstructive surgery uh, for the hand. Uh, so any instance where someone needs anything to reconstruct the hand, for example, if someone um, has an injury to their finger, sometimes I have to replant fingers. So if a finger is cut off, um, I may have to sew them back on as well as uh, the tendons, arteries, nerves, and veins. Also, I spend a fair amount of time doing research as well. I'm the director of research for the Division of Plastic Surgery. And I actually have an extensive amount of research funding from the Department of Defense uh, to do research um, in an area called vascularized composite allotransplantation. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Well, you know, we just got done talking with Jordan Wisely. And Jordan happens to be with us right now, by the way. And uh, he, he has overcome a, a congenital defect called, correct me if I'm wrong in the pronunciation here, sim, you know what, you say it. 
<laughs> I've, I've screwed it up once already. Some brachydactyly? Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and he's refused to have his hand surgically repaired because he's never felt he's needed it to get through life. He's He's been quite the achiever. He's accomplished a lot. What can you tell us about that disease, that defect, I should say, and, and how it's treated and, and if it's treated based on your experiences? Right. Um, well, it's a, it's a disease in which it's congenital, meaning someone is born with this disease. It is not inherited, uh, so it's not passed on from a parent, for example. The cause is relatively unknown. Um, people think that it may be due to lack of blood supply to the hand during gestation or pregnancy, about four to six weeks into pregnancy. Um, and it's not very common. It probably occurs in about one out of 32,000 um, births. And um, there are kind of different degrees of the disease. So there are milder um, forms of the disease in which uh, the fingers may be affected. They may be shortened a more moderate version of the disease, someone may actually not have um, certain fingers and just vestiges of the fingers or maybe a skin component. Um, and there are more severe cases where someone may be actually born without a thumb, a partial thumb, or, may, or born even without a hand. And in those cases, sometimes the actual forearm is shortened. And as far as treatments, uh, there can be anything from no intervention. For example, uh, some some children and some parents opt not to have any kind of intervention. And sometimes children are offered uh, prostheses, um, which either can provide some cosmetic support or some adaptive support in the cases of playing sports, for instance. Uh, but a lot of children don't actually use them. Um, a lot of them can actually adjust to their disorder, particularly in the moderate or mild cases. And, you know, some studies show that children that are affected by this disease actually have more resiliency um, because they've had to overcome, you know, certain obstacles at an early age. No, that sounds like Jordan, certainly. That sounds like Jordan. So like Jordan, you know, they, they go on to be exceptional people, you know, despite, um, you know, being born, you know, with a congenital disease that, you know, people may initially think might hinder them. I've got a question for you. So most procedures and stuff, do you usually see the procedures coming from people who were born with a disability or someone who had an accident? I feel like that's more of the like the surgeries and, and procedures I see are people who had a hand and then it was taken and now they're trying to get back as much as they can. Yes, yes. And you're talking in particular about hand transplantation? Yeah. So in the case of hand transplantation, um, which is along the realms in the field of what we call vascularized composite allotransplantation, and that's when we transplant anything that consists of a lot of different tissue types. A lot of you have heard of solid organ, organ transplantation. So that's a, a whole organ, like a kidney or a liver or a heart that's transplanted. So hand transplantation, again, is part of a field called vascularized composite allotransplantation. Um, and you may have heard of face transplants that have also been performed. That, again, is part of this field. So as far as hand transplant, um, to answer your question, yes, it's, it's usually not in the case of patients that have congenital disorders of the hand or disorders that they're born with. Because, again, a lot of these individuals are, you know, go throughout life as children with um, the certain disorders in their hand, and they learn to adapt to them and to adjust to them. Uh, so in the case of hand transplantation, uh, primarily the candidates have been people, like you said, that have had trauma to their hand, 
um, and for and lose a hand um, in different ways. They may have had an illness called sepsis, where the hand the body um, shuts down blood flow to the hands, and uh, the hands get infected. Um, and so it's a place, you know, usually in the case where someone doesn't have a hand um, as an adult, and then they want it to be replaced. Got it. Dr. Washington, last thing. How close are we medically, technologically, to actually replacing the hand with something very similar to a real hand? So are you talking about, like, for example, growing a hand? No, prosthetically. Oh, prosthetically. Yes. Um, Well, you know, there's always talk about the, you know, the battle of, surgical replacements versus prosthetics. So, you know, some people will say, you know, would someone do better with a hand transplant and have more function versus a prosthetic? I think a lot of it depends on the individual. Um, And I think, you know, the military has made a lot of advances in prosthetics for hands, uh, particularly in the case if someone doesn't have a hand. Um, I think it's harder to develop functional prosthetics for someone that has part of a hand, for instance. They're just not, not as useful. Um, a lot of patients find prosthetics to be heavy, um, and so sometimes a lot of people don't end up wearing them as much, particularly in the case if they already have a functional hand. Um, but prosthetics are very useful, in particular for patients that are missing both both of their limbs, for example. Um, and you know there there are a lot of good prostheses, particularly uh, that are used in veterans, um, that enable them to have. Um, decent function with their hands, particularly that the biggest function would be to grip things or to hold things, but also pinch uh, between your thumb and your fingers uh, to pick up things and do kind of fine tasks. So we do have prosthetics for those and, and they're always trying to advance the field. Uh, so it's always this battle of, you know, you know, how far will hand transplant get to the point where, you know, it will be an option to replace the hand. It already is, but, you know, to optimize that or, you know, will prosthetics kind of win the race? And, you know, to this day, we don't know. So I see the the hands that, like, work, right? How does that, because I've, I've never had fingers, right. but in my mind, I can, so because I know how to, like, I know what I'm squeezing and contracting in this mm-hmm. hand, in my left hand, I feel like if it was there, I would be doing this right now, right? So I feel like, if there were something that were sending signals, is that, is that a possibility? Is that something that's being worked on that? Cause I see there's hands that move and people move them with their, not their minds, but their nerves, right? Yes. Yeah. There are researchers uh, currently that are working on prosthetics, particularly that uh, connect to the nerves and the muscles in the upper extremities uh, to move, you know, to move your, prosthetic just like a hand and starting those connections to the brain. So yes, um, that definitely is happening uh, right at this moment. And um, that's not my particular area of research, but there are researchers that are doing that. And I think, um, you know, we've made just tremendous progress, especially in the last decade. Dr. Washington, really appreciate your time. It's It's been enlightening for me. I, Jordan, has it been enlightening for you? Yeah. I, I, as someone who's lived with it, I've never dove into uh you know what it is what it affects the the how do you fix it how do you add on to it um you know it's just been something i've powered past but it is very interesting uh to hear all this and i'm seeing you know obviously with social media i can see these advances um so i just wonder like what's 
what do what does five years hold? What do ten years hold for uh, my best friend? He he lost his leg in high school. He has a prosthetic now uh, leg. Um, wh- what does the future hold for that kind of stuff? Yeah. Well, what are some of the breakthroughs? Well, in particular, as far as surgical breakthroughs that I'm interested in, um, again, in the field of vascularized composite allotransplantation, being able to transplant a hand or upper extremity and, you know, provide that function. I think we've made so many breakthroughs in immunosuppressive therapy. So, so these are drugs that are used in transplantation um, that enable us to the organ, the body not to reject um, a transplanted part from another individual. So we've made several advances in that. And that, that has really enabled us to perform um, hand transplants, face transplants. They've even performed penile transplants um, in a couple of individuals. They perform uterine transplants. That's another example of advances in the vascularized composite tissue allotransplantation surgical field. And actually those have resulted in live births. Uh, so I think, you know, surgically, we continue to advance our surgical techniques and skills as well as the drugs available to do these things. I actually am working, I have funding, $6 million of funding from the Department of Defense uh, to do work in eye transplantation, of all things. Whoa. So we are actually, um, this is not done in humans yet, so I don't want to start that rumor. But we are working in small animals, and we have an eye transplant model um, in a rodent, rodent where we take the face and an eye from one rat and transplant it to another rat. And then we're studying ways, of course, to get to return vision. We have not accomplished that yet. But we are working on ways, ways to restore vision to, re- to make sure that the eye maintains its vascularity and, and that it preserves um, its integrity during the process when it's without blood flow, which is called the ischemia time. Uh, so we're currently doing that in small animals. And it's really interesting because it just combines, you know, all very interesting fields in terms of um, nerve regeneration, trying to regenerate the optic nerve, which is a nerve responsible for sight. Um, we also look at cortical reintegration. You know, how is the brain going to adapt to a transplanted part or a transplanted eye? We already know from hand transplant that the brain is able to remodel. You know, it's always thought uh, typically or stereotypically that the brain really as an adult didn't have the capacity to remodel. Um, but we do know, I mean, we know that now just from other areas of research, but in particular from hand transplantation, for instance, Um, When a person has not had a hand for a long amount of time and then they get a hand transplant, the brain actually remodels and adapts to that hand and is able to, you know, um, get signals from the hand and vice versa. So I think it's, you know, it's very interesting um, in terms of learning about how their brain is going to adapt, for example, to a new eye um, that restores vision. Uh, So it's kind of, it's a lifelong project of mine and uh, just really keeps me interested and in addition to the clinical work that I'm doing. Yeah, it's fascinating. Dr. Washington, really appreciate your time. That was great stuff. Thank you. And, and, and Jordan, appreciate you hanging around and talking to the doctor with us. Yeah, thank you, Doc. Thank you very much. Like you, This is some cool stuff. I can't wait to see what you've developed in the next couple of years. Thanks. Well, it was great to meet you. Thanks for listening to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus.
You want more unstoppable stories? Subscribe to our podcast wherever you find and listen to podcasts. You can even ask your smart speaker to play We Are Unstoppable podcasts. And you can visit us at our website, unstoppablepodcasts.com, for more episodes and ways to subscribe. That's unstoppablepodcasts.com. Subscribe today. 